Hello, my name is Spencer Wright, and this is episode 22 of the Waltz Oasis podcast. On this show, I discuss animals and the people who helped create them from the world of Disney. Topics come from the world of animated and live action film, shorts, parks, documentaries, and more. Please follow the podcast on Instagram on my personal page at Spencer Wright 19070 and the show page at Walt Oasis where I'll post pictures of subjects discussed. And feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. This week, I'm diving into part two of my series discussing Walt Disney's Winnie the Pooh, starting with Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, released as a 26-minute featurette on February 4th, 1966. It was released with the live-action film The Ugly Dachshund, starring Dean Jones and Suzanne Plachette. Now, you may recall last episode where I discussed the author of the Pooh books, A.A. Milne, who passed away in 1956, and how he adapted Kenneth Graham's book, The Wind in the Willows, into a play, Toad of Toad Hall. In 1938, Milne wrote to Kenneth Graham's widow, Elspeth, I expect that you've heard that Disney is interested in Toad of Toad Hall. It's just a thing for him, of course, and he would do it beautifully. Therefore, while we don't know what Milne would have thought of Disney adapting the work or the specific work, it seems like he was at least open to the possibility of his work being brought to screen. And Walt began pursuing the rights to Toad of Toad Hall in 1937, and after the release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, also in 1937, Walt Disney began exploring the possibility of purchasing film rights to the Pooh books. Many artists at the studio were familiar with the books and loved them, rereading them on their own, as well as reading them to their children. Animator Ollie Johnston remembered, some of us could quote whole pages of dialogue by heart. In addition to the stories and writing style, they also admired Shepard's illustrations. And Walt Disney considered purchasing the rights to the books in the 40s and 50s, but it doesn't quite appear that he ever pursued them especially seriously. He finally purchased the rights from the Milne Estate in June of 1961 and moved forward with an animated project in 1964. Part of this delay may be due to one major snag, which is that of acquiring merchandising rights. And after making several licensing agreements with the Milne Estate, storyboarding of the project began in earnest in 1964. And after some work storyboarding and thinking about these stories, Walt decided he did not want to make a full-length feature out of concern that audiences in the United States were not sufficiently familiar with the characters or stories. Songwriter Richard Sherman remembered, Walt didn't feel the American public was ready for a feature-length film on the Pooh Bear. Rather, he suggested a 26-minute featurette that would end with Pooh in the Honey Tree. Also, a feature that will require a smaller investment and allow audiences to become familiar with the characters in the Hundred Acre Wood. And while the books have been bestsellers and remained popular for several decades, this did not automatically translate to a successful screen adaption. Also, the Hundred Acre Wood is a relatively low-key world without a clear villain that does not translate easily to Disney's brand of storytelling. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
Uh, and this is, in my opinion, the reason probably why the project was not pursued sooner, as these were well-known books since the 1920s, so audiences were certainly familiar with them. But if we think of two Disney classics that were hits at the time of their release and have remained beloved classics, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Cinderella, we have an evil queen and a wicked stepmother contrasting to a pure, beautiful, much younger woman a clear villain and a clear heroine. The basic plot and setup is very clear going in, but such a dynamic does not exist in the Hundred Acre Wood. And Walt was familiar with the books. Um, his book-loving daughter, Diane, read them often. Later, Diane Disney Miller recalled, Dad would hear me laughing alone in my room and come in to see what I was laughing at. It was usually the gentle, whimsical humor of A.A. A. Milne's Pooh stories. I read them over and over, and then many years later to my children, and now to my grandchildren. And I'll go over the brief plot of the featurette if you haven't seen it for a while. Um, in Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, we see the honey-loving bear searching for food after seeing a bee. Unsuccessful, he visits his friend Christopher Robin and uses a balloon in an attempt to float up to an active beehive. We see continued adventures as Winnie the Pooh goes to his friend Rabbit's house and gorges on all of his food, getting wedged in a passageway on the way out due to his gluttony. We further see Owl and Gophers attempt to dislodge him. As Rabbit seems to tries to make the best out of this situation, it seems Pooh can finally be wrested out of the spot when Christopher Robin leans against him and Pooh shifts slightly. While Pooh's friends pull from the outside, Rabbit shoves Pooh from the inside, projecting the bear into a hole, into the hole of a tree filled with honey. Pooh is delighted as he can now eat all the honey he desires. Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree is based off of the first chapters of the book titled We Are Introduced and Pooh Goes Visiting, with some material pulled from other chapters. This is a very limited scope, which allows audiences to familiarize themselves with the world and characters. Walt Disney intentionally selected artists who did not have a reverence for the books, or the same reverence for the books that others had. Not getting an assignment he coveted, animator Frank Thomas said, We were pretty surprised. Walt didn't bother to explain, of course, but so far as we could figure out, he felt the material was pretty low-key to begin with, and he was afraid that if Ollie and myself and Milk Hall and some that some of the Pooh fans got a hold of it, we would want to stay too close to the book, and that, I suppose, he thought, would make for something too precious. Wolfgang, known as Wooly, Reitherman, was assigned to direct and initially seemed displeased with the assignment. Reitherman was an animator and director with vast experience working on dramatic and action sequences, for example, Monstro the Whale and Pinocchio, and the Headless Horseman and his steed in the adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. However, Reitherman, with perhaps some light derision toward the project, would also be more comfortable Americanizing the story and including gags and physical comedy as appropriate. Others working on the project were similarly experienced and seasoned. For example, those assigned to the story team included Ken Anderson, Larry Clemens, Ralph Wright, Dick and Lucas, Vance Jerry, and Xavier Atencio. Walt Disney was active in the story development as well, which was typical of most projects. 
Uh, those on layouts and backgrounds included Basil Davidovich and Al Dempster. Backgrounds were created with the intention of staying faithful to Shepard's illustrations, and while not easy, that was a relatively straightforward process. Character animation was much more difficult as Shepard, remember Ernest Shepard, the illustrator of the books, drew them with broken lines and a hatching style of lines drawn across a character. This is very difficult to translate to a figure who moves continuously on screen. An illustrator, in this case Shepard, only needs to think in two dimensions while the animator has to think in three. Specific characters were drawn as easily recognizable from the books and being able to adapt static two-dimensional figures to moving, to moving three-dimensional figures is a huge accomplishment. And Pooh was probably the most difficult to draw, as he is on the screen most often, and he makes the most movements. Therefore, he's available for the greatest scrutiny. Also, Pooh is really based off of a teddy bear, which are stiff without knee or elbow joints. Pooh has to be just flexible enough to make convincing movements, while not being too flexible and looking unrealistic. Disney's Pooh wears a shrunken red t-shirt, unlike Shepard's illustrations, and this design is based off of bears made by Agnes Brush that were sold at the AFO Schwartz store in New York City. There is also a chapter where Pooh wears a shirt as protection against the cold. And by adding this t-shirt, there's less fur texture that the animators have to deal with, and it makes him seem a little more like a person. The shirt also adds personality and definition. Gags and comedic relief were added as a way of punching up the story. This is most prominent when we see, after we see Pooh eat too much and he gets stuck in a hole into Rabbit's house on the way out. And Walt helped craft some of Rabbit's uses for Pooh's behind, who's now stuck in his home. For example, we see him put a flower pot on Pooh's behind, a tent to make it look like a stuffed moose head, and put a frame around it. And Walt felt that this was the funniest sequence in the feature. Rabbit and Owl are based off of real animals and not stuffed animals, and therefore they were not quite as challenging to animate. By this point, the studio had a few decades of convincingly animating these animals, gaining practice in the silly symphonies, and then eventually working on full-length animated features. Therefore, in terms of animating the rabbit or owl, they had a pretty strong idea going in how to proceed. And in this feature, Eeyore the donkey doesn't do too much. He's not featured too prominently. Therefore, he was not especially tricky to animate. And I mentioned before how Walt Disney did consider creating one full-length feature. The Sherman Brothers, songwriters on the production, wrote, In 1965, we had completed songs for about two-thirds of the story when Walt stunned everyone by announcing he intended to platform Winnie the Pooh into three separate features. While two of the three features were released after Walt passed away in December of 1966, much of the direction in terms of the story did occur under Walt's direction. For example, he decided on the conclusion of Honey Tree when he was walking down a row of storyboards, and this is written out little scenes, maybe with some dialogue that give an idea of the direction a story is going to go in. So Walt's walking down this row of storyboards, and he said, We'll stop here. And he pointed to where Pooh was stuck in a tree eating honey, and thus the ending was decided. 
And overall, the final product is faithful to the books. The backgrounds are reminiscent of Shepard's illustrations. Um, there is wonderful narration by Sebastian Cabot, but there's also quite a bit of American flair. Um, this includes a gopher character, as well as music by the Sherman Brothers. And all songs, including Winnie the Pooh and Rumbly in My Tummy, were written by Richard M. and Robert B. Sherman. The Sherman Brothers are very well known in the world of Disney for writing songs for features including Mary Poppins, The Parent Trap, The Jungle Book, and for attractions like Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Buddy Baker conducted and arranged the music, and Baker collaborated closely with the Sherman Brothers and remembered that they got along great. He said, We got along great. That's always helpful when you've been part of a team and everybody gets along fine. So I figured that the Sherman brothers were just marvelous young guys. They were easy to work with, and we understood each other. We never had a crossword, ever. And the Sherman brothers previously worked with Baker on 1963's Summer Magic and wanted to work with him again. It was Baker's role to create accompanying music based on songs written by the brothers. Baker said, Sometimes I'd use maybe the bassoon to accompany a certain section of the film. And then, using the same melody, I'd use the string section in a different sequence. I played all the scenes with thematic music where the song wouldn't work. The Sherman Brothers were assigned to work on the feature by Walt, and initially they thought the stories were, quote, kiddie nonsense. Eventually, however, they found the stories charming and writing music for the gentle stories to be a creative challenge. Richard Sherman remembered he spent several, oh, excuse me, for assistance, they turned to British-born Tony Walton, who was the husband of Julie Andrews and was designing costumes for Mary Poppins. The Sherman brothers also writing the music for Mary Poppins. And Richard Sherman remembered in terms of working with British-born Tony Walton, he spent several hours with us explaining how important the Pooh stories were to him while he was growing up. He identified with Pudgy Pooh, who always came out on top. And this enabled them to see the wisdom and the simplicity in the stories. Richard observed how the books are sprinkled with songs called hums, which aren't really songs. He said, they were like little feathers in the breeze. So we wanted to get that feel in our songs. That if Milne had written a song, he most likely would have written it that way. We wanted it to be Milne-esque, but it had to be Disney too. Therefore, they endeavored to write songs which they described as light and feathery. And Winnie the Pooh is voiced by Sterling Holloway, who had a very long and important career with Disney, beginning with the stork in Dumbo. He continued in roles like Flower the Skunk in Bambi, Cheshire the Cat in Alice Wonderland, uh, narrating Lambert the Sheepish Lion, and many, many more. When asked his favorite role, Holloway said, I suppose Winnie the Pooh is my favorite. No, I think Flower the Skunk. It's very strange, but I do all these voices, and you know what? They all sound exactly alike. When initially voicing Pooh, Walt asked Holloway to consider voicing Ka, the snake in the Jungle Book. Holloway remembered, Walt was such a stickler for voices. He said, when you finish what you're doing today with Winnie the Pooh, fiddle around and see what you can do with the snake. I can't get the voice right. And he did eventually voice Ka, greatly pleasing the animators involved. Regarding Winnie the Pooh, he said, I had no problem with Pooh's voice. 
It was born with the first word I spoke. I saw what Pooh was like and what I'd like him to be, and I tried to make him that way. Sincere, lovable, always hungry, always trying. Pooh would never hurt anyone or know a word of hate. He was unselfish giving. Director Roy Reitherman's son, Bruce, voiced Christopher Robin, and this was a somewhat controversial decision as you had an American voicing English Christopher Robin. And this is something that would lead to a great deal of hostility in the UK upon the featurette's release. Eeyore was voiced by Ralph Wright, who also worked as an animator and storyboard artist at the studio. He began working there in 1940 and was known for a gloomy personality similar to the donkey. His extensive credits at the studio include story development on Bambi and storyboarding for Peter Pan, Lady and the Tramp, Perry, and the Aristocats. Kanga, the mother kangaroo, was voiced by Barbara Luddy, and she previously voiced Lady in Lady and the Tramp and Meriwether in Sleeping Beauty. Rue, her child, was voiced by Clint Howard, who also voiced Hattie Jr., the young elephant in the Jungle Book. Junius Junius Matthews voiced Rabbit, and prior to this, he voiced Archimedes the Owl in The Sword and the Stone. Junius Matthews also voiced Rabbit previously in a BBC radio adaption of the stories, and as he put it, he, quote, ballyhooed Milne constantly, unquote, around the studio while recording Archimedes for The Sword and the Stone, which released in 1963. Actor Hal Smith voiced the Owl, and Howard Morris the Gopher. And Gophers are not native to the British Isles where the Pooh stories take place. Story artist Exitensio, Xavier Atencio, said the Gopher was added as part of an effort to Americanize the story, and Reitherman defended his inclusion, enjoying the character's, quote, folksy, all-American grassroots image, unquote. Tigger and Piglet did not appear in this featurette. Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree released with the Ugly Dachshund on February 4th, 1966, and reviews were a little mixed, but overall audiences in the United States liked the featurette. It was released with quite a bit of hostility in the UK, where Ernest Shepard described it as a complete travesty. And it was said that Milne's widow Daphne quite enjoyed it. And due to demands from the British press, Christopher Robin's voice was dubbed to have a British accent. A Virginia newspaper described it as, quote, mirthful, melodic entertainment filmed in brilliant technicolor. A newspaper in Leicester, England, was not so kind, writing, when the Disney whimsy comes into head-on collision with somebody else's whimsy, the result is usually disastrous. And this echoed a complaint from some that Shepard's illustrations and Milne's storytelling do not need to be adapted for the screen as they are so well done on their own. As part of a publicity tour, people in costume dressed as Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore, Owl, Rabbit, and Kanga embarked on a 22-city, 28-day tour going all across the country from places like Miami, Washington, D.C., Buffalo, Salt Lake City, and San Diego. Collaborating with Sears Roebuck, the tour included having the characters visit Sears stores, visit movie theaters, host cocktail parties and dinners, coloring contests, and more. So this was definitely a featurette which was heavily marketed by the studio.
Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree can be viewed on Disney Plus as the first part of 1977's The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, a theatrical release which combined three featurettes into one feature. Additional animation was added in between the segments, along with dialogue from narrator Sebastian Cabot and voice work by Sterling Holloway as Pooh. Sources for this episode include Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, Did You Know? by Jim Fanning for D23.com. Animation Anecdotes number 223 and 250 by Jim Corcus for CartoonResearch.com. The Waltz People series edited by DDA Gez. The Musical World of Disney by David Tietjen. Winnie the Pooh, A Celebration of the Silly Old Bear by Christopher Robin Finch. Willy Nilly Silly Old Bear by Brian Sibley for Tashin's The Walt Disney Film Archives, as well as other books, websites, magazines, and articles. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Walt's Oasis. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode where I will discuss the second Winnie the Pooh featurette, 1968's Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. Please follow the podcast on Instagram on my personal page at SpencerWright19070 and the show page at Walt Oasis, where I'll post pictures of subjects discussed. And feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.